Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Cool fact: A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Welcome to a Super Bloom podcast. Hi, it's me. It's Candace King. And I'm very delighted by today's guest. This is someone I've actually known for a very long time. Funny enough, we've not seen each other in over a decade, going on maybe 13 years. We've now seen each other twice in one week. I'm so happy to have him as a guest on my podcast. I was lucky enough to be a guest on his podcast earlier this week. I don't know when it's being released, but uh, look out for it. Today I'm sitting down with Michael Rosenbaum. If you don't know Michael, he's an actor, he's also a comedian, he's a musician, he's just a, a gentleman of all trades, but wasn't always a gentleman of all trades, which is what we're going to talk about a little bit today, but especially his podcast. He's really fallen in love and has had such a successful podcast career in the last handful of years. If you don't know his podcast, Inside of You, it's fantastic. There's a lot of co-workers that I've had in my time who have also been on his podcast. If you've never heard it or never seen it, then you've definitely been living under a rock. It has become wildly successful. He also has a podcast with a co-worker of his, Tom Welling, from the show that they were on together. It is called Talkville Podcast. So check both of those out. Before you do that, sit back, relax, and enjoy our conversation. <laughs> You'll hear a little bit on his podcast. How we got to know each other was we actually, we went on about a, a, couple, a handful of dates back in the day, back in the late aughts. So uh, it's, uh, it's very funny to be having conversations all these years later, and especially to be able to do it in this way, in this medium, you know, in, in this podcasting world. So I like to say, just buckle up, buttercup. We got a really fun conversation ahead for you, especially talking about, we talk a lot about one of my favorite things, which is therapy. 
which gosh, I, I, I love me some therapy, which re- reminds me, I actually need to, I need to get my therapy appointment set up on my calendar. So while I go do that, you enjoy this conversation with Michael Rosenbaum. How old are you? Oh, that's the first thing you want to say is how old are you? <laughs> I know I look 50, but I'm, I just turned 51. Yeah? When's your birthday? 7-11. Oh, so very recently. Happy I get free slurpees birthday. at 7-11. <gasps> that I think is that. an amazing... I mean, everybody does, but yours, I'm sure, tastes extra, extra sweet. Extra fruity. Extra fruity. Yeah. What is your slurpee style? You know, These are the hard-pressing questions. I think for a, <laughs> for a Slurpee, probably grape and cherry together, but mostly cherry. Okay. Grape and cherry. Yeah. Interesting. When you were a child, yeah. did you take medicine easily? Like if you had to take cough medicine that was like grape or cherry flavored, were you oh, like, yeah. yeah, I still you loved it? Ugh. Oh, yeah. I still go after the, the NyQuil. I'm one of those few people Ugh. that go, I like the taste of NyQuil. You oh, don't like God. it? No, it like I, I was the one that'd be crying, being like, please don't make me like I still can't even do a shot of tequila. I'll sip on it like I'll sip on glass after glass, but I cannot. I can't do a shot. I have of anything. to see. I want to see your your tequila post tequila shot face. Is it just ugly? <laughs> you know that face you make? Just yeah, like, it's. Uh, oh. Yeah, it is like it, the shivers. The shivers are real. Good. You have a good you have a good voice. You should do this for a living. Oh, thank you. I'm trying to make a living at it. <laughs> I don't yeah, know how well, well it's going. But you just got, you know what it is? Like I always say, just be honest and be yourself and don't try to do something, you know, just talk about what you want to talk about and people That's will great. listen or they won't. Do you have that on a coffee mug? No, but I do have my Inside <laughs> of You podcast. Ah, yes. I got to send you I know. one. You were on it. It's coming out. I know. I'm very excited. I don't know which one's going to come out first, but I love that I asked you how old you were to kick off this one. And then you immediately brought up the fact that we had gone on a handful of dates like 13, 14 years ago to kick off yours. Yeah. You know what? I, it's, it's, it's because somebody sent me something about people that I've dated. And I go, I, I, I mean, dated is such a people throw around that word, but we, we went on a couple of dates and I liked you. I thought you were awesome. It was so long ago, but you, we talk about it on the podcast more in depth, but yeah, it said that I dated you and I'm like, I remember she didn't call me back. <laughs> That's what I remember, but I never was upset about it. I mean, I was obviously I can tell. I can tell. I mean, it's, you know, you're, you're so cool and nonchalant about it all these years later, you know, I was able really... to move on. I was <laughs> able to move on without you, Candace, but I've you been know, worried. I've been worried. I know. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, people got to go their separate ways and then somehow the universe brings them back and now we're uh-huh. on each other's podcast. So it's, yes. it's- well, I was trying to remember because when I, when we did meet, uh, we were at the same management company. I think we, we met were? like at a, at a party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were both with, and I don't know who you're, if you're still with Untitled, but we went to like no. a, the, a party and I think that that's where we met. But I, I know I was like right at the beginning of working on the show that I was on. We were both on the same network. And I'm trying to think what year it would have been for you. It was obviously during a hiatus time. I knew that you, was, oh. this would have been in oh, Five, uh, oh, 09. No, this was oh, 2009. Oh, nine. Yeah, you know, I, if I look at that, I probably, yeah, okay. All right. I think oh eight or oh nine was a, I had just gotten out of a big relationship in about 2008. 
So maybe I wasn't even ready. Maybe my mind wasn't even there, but it was like, it was not. What? Well, what maybe, well no, I also think because I think it's also, we were at very different points. Like, we, we, you know, we met under circumstances <laughs> where I think is unique. We were both working on a network, on the same network, on shows that are both genre shows on the CW and that had, you know, pretty immediate followings maybe i meant it was like 2010 maybe but you had started this your series in 2001 so where mm -hmm. you were at in like the journey of being on a yeah. long-running show was yeah. so different from where i was at Absolutely. and and now I can have so much understanding for where you were at because, you know, by I feel very grateful that I, you know, was at the start of what would become a very a long running series that changed my life. I mean, I'm still Absolutely. going to conventions. People still watch the show. We talk we're about lucky. this on your podcast. Yes. But yeah. And you, you know, you also go to conventions. You still meet all these people watching the show. You have a whole podcast rewatching the show with one of your castmates, Tom Welling. And so, you know, these are very kind of like huge, inciting, in, like career incidents of our lives independently. And I think it, especially nowadays, the way that television is structured, you it's very rare to have something go that long. I, don't, I haven't heard one person creatively I know be like, I have an idea for a 10 year series. Now everything is like mm. three to four seasons. And so but it's interesting because at that point, you know, it felt like so defining. And I don't know about you, but like something I've been really interested to talk to you about is how I know when I what I experienced when the Vampire Diaries ended was a full on identity crisis, because this was kind of the entirety of my 20s that really defined me. And I had to wonder, like, am I just walking through life, you know, relying on this character and this idea of who I am in defining my worth and success value within that? Or, you know, do I define it within myself? And so that is what I'm excited to talk to you about today. But before I dive into that, when did you start acting? I mean, I, I know a little bit just from researching mm. that this was something you obviously were passionate about, went to get a, a you know, a degree in, but when in your youth, like what was kind of the, the little bug that bit you? Well, first of all, on my podcast, I talk about mental health and journeys and what makes us tick and how we face adversity and what we do to succeed and what we do when we fail and how we react to all the, these things that life brings us. And I think that I say that because when I rewind and I go back to that little me, you know, in high school, who's as unpopular as you can be and never went on a date. I, I don't think I, maybe one date. I never went to a dance, never, you know, I didn't hang out with that crowd. And I think my, you know, I came from a dysfunctional family. I mean, I don't think I did. And, you know, where I felt like I just wasn't, no one really, I, my brother had a dream one night and then he wrote down everything he dreamt and it was about my family. And he goes, and then I got to you, Michael. And I just said, and then there was Michael, no one paid attention to him. And that was like, I, you know, I got a little emotional about it because it wasn't that I was upset that no one paid attention to me, but somebody validated that, mm -hmm. you know, I, somebody like said, Hey, I, I was there. I saw and so when I didn't get attention, I looked for attention elsewhere. So my 
friends, families, they would be the surrogates or they would be the, they would sort of be my parents. And I'd stay at my friends' houses all the time because I felt wanted. And I created this persona of just making people laugh and entertaining. And I thought that was sort of always in my blood. And I guess that kid in me sort of disappeared behind this facade of trying to be someone, you know, trying to be accepted. And it took everything out of me to audition for a play in high school. And I was taking drama classes because it was an easy A and you didn't really have to do anything. But to take it my senior year, it was called advanced drama. My teacher, Mrs. Paternoster, that's her great name. teacher name. Pater, and you know what? And she was a great woman. She, I'd never called her Pater Monster or Hater Monster. I called her Pater Noster, Mrs. Pater Noster. Then she became Mrs. Johnson, then Miss Kodecki, then something else. But she's, I loved her. And she's still alive. And she said, Michael, you can't take drama class unless you audition for a play this year. And I was like, uh, you say F's? Yeah. Oh, fuck. I was really, it didn't come out as strong, though. <laughs> so it's like, and so I said, fine. And I did it. I auditioned for this role as like the DJ, Vince Fontaine. I told the story, but I was so nervous and it took everything. And like, I still remember all the lines like it was yesterday. Hey, hey it's the main brain, Vince Fontaine, spinning the stacks of wax here at the House of Wax, W-A-X-X, cruising time, 1023. I was so nervous. I just went over everything a million times and I got a little confidence and it, it built. And I remember the ovation when I came out. And it was like, whoa, I'm accepted for the first time in my life. People are like, good for you. And I remember the next day in school, I was walking down the hallway and Chris Pro, who's the captain of the football team, the quarterback, walks by and goes, hey, you were really funny in that play last night. And then he walked away. And I just go, so not being me is the thing to do. So from then on, it was just like, how do I get that back? I wasn't getting love and all that things, unconditional shit you're supposed to get. So I was filled with, you know, feeling good about myself through the, what other people, how other people reacted to me, which is not the way to go. There's two, one is very sustainable. Love is very sustainable and that feeling, but I didn't have that, but it's very similar to have that feeling of acceptance and getting attention and all that stuff. So, but that is very ephemeral. It's sort of just like, it just goes away quickly and you have to keep filling it as opposed to the other one. So I started acting, looking for that. For clarification also, you come from a very big family, right? That when when you kind of reference not being seen or there like, or did did the family expand later on? Like how many- Expanded later. I mean, my, you know, we moved to Indiana from New York, which was a big change. How old are you? I was eight. And, you know, my older half brother was 15. My older half sister was 14. My little brother was just born. He's like two. You know, within a a couple of years, my brother, older brother ran away from home. My sister ended up, she turned 18, eloped and got married. And then it was my brother and I. And, you know, that was it. And I used to spend summers with my grandparents. My parents used to just, you know, let me go, let me hang out with my grandparents for a summer. So I guess we had a big family in terms of like my my cousins and my uncles and everybody would get together when I saw them, but I, I didn't really see them. So really, I was just hanging out mostly with my mother and father and my younger brother. 
Mm-hmm. And so it didn't feel very big once we moved to Indiana because I didn't get to see everybody. Like it used to be every people were coming in the house and there's, there's my uncle, there's a cousin, there was like, you know, and then you're in Indiana and it's just everything sort of changed. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. But it sounds like there was a lot of chaos that needed immediate attention and then you weren't necessarily a part of that so no i wasn't i wasn't i i never i never understood i didn't figure this out till later in life that i just that little me sort of disappeared he Mm -hmm. just tried it was i was in survival mode from the time i was maybe 10 on i was just trying to you know get through it i always had not to say i had a death wish but i never thought i'd get through high school I never thought I'd go to college. I never thought I'd make, I always had this thought that I was going to die, you know? And, you know, that's just something that I always felt. I don't know where that comes from. I probably need more therapy. Everything sort of, I I say happened for a reason, but I wasn't going to go to college. And this popular kid that lived down the street, he used to, every once in a while, Tom, who's, well, I'll get to that. He was popular and he would invite me over when his parents were out of town and his friends would drink beer and they'd see me and they'd like, I hear them go, what is he doing here? And my friend goes, he's cool, man. He's cool. (laughs) And I was playing basketball at my house one day by myself and he walked up. It was our senior year and he goes, hey, you going to college? And I go, "Uh, I don't think so. I'm probably going to work at the grocery store, continue working there. Wesselman's grocery store, Sacker number four. 
Michael, could you please come up? This is Jerry Simmons. Uh, we have some stolen Butterfinger bars. Did you steal them? No. <laughs> then I, I did. I almost got fired for that. And Tom says, well, why don't you roommate with, we'll be roommates. We'll go to Western. And I go, oh my God, the popular kid, this is my way out. The popular kid wants to be my roommate. I went in and I applied. I, you didn't have to have a high GPA to get in. I got in, we were roommates and my life changed. He was the guy that was like, oh, dude, check out this guy at a party. Go, He does all these impressions. He, he, I would do all these impressions. And did I you started, go there studying theater or did you? I started to take like an acting class here and there and built that up. But like Tom, if it wasn't for Tom, I never would have gone to college. And then from Tom helping me with my confidence and then start, you know, I started to act. I started to build that confidence there. And all of a sudden I found my calling. And it's almost like the universe just kind of that magnetic force just shifted me to thank God. If it wasn't for that day where Tom said, you want to be my roommate, I never would have gone to college. My life never would have been here. I owe him. He doesn't even know it. I always, I, I tell him every once in a while, I'm like, you know, it wasn't for you. So I feel like anytime Tom has a problem or needs anything, I'm like, dude, you know where to go. You always have the place to stay. You, you need anything on here. But that's how it all started. And from there, I started going, doing plays. And I was always the backup. Like they cast this play, Prelude to a Kiss. And the guy who played the father, which is a big part, comic relief, he dropped out. And Kirker Butler, this guy who writes for Family Guy and a bunch of stuff now, he said, Michael, I'd like you to play this role. And I was, when he told me, my heart was pounding. And I worked so hard and not to say I stole the show, but you could feel that like, you know, I, I just craved that attention. And from there on out, people was, they saw me in a different way. And I started getting cast in lead roles. And before I knew it, I was, I was like, should I go to grad school? And my mentor at college was like, no, you need to go to New York and do this. You're ready. And I went and everything just kind of happened. It was, yeah. I'm telling you, my whole life is sort of luck. It's like they say luck is preparation, preparation meets, opportunity. meets opportunity. Yeah. And that's it. That's it. I mean, I went to New York and nothing was happening. I was living with three guys in a one bedroom. And Dr. Combs from college calls me, the late Dr. Combs. Love that guy. He goes, Mr. Rosen, how's everything going? And I go, ah, you know, not great. I'm telemarketing. I'm rollerblading to work because I have no money. He goes, Call Becky and Dylan Baker. And they're actors that work all the time if you look them up. And I said, fine. And I left a message for Becky Baker. And I said, Becky, it's Michael Rosenbaum. I'd love for you guys to come over for some ramen noodles for dinner, making a joke. Apparently, she thought that was funny. She called me back. She goes, why don't you come over for dinner? I went for dinner. It was great. Came home. Nothing. Three days. I go, well, I got nothing going on. I called her to say thank you. She happened to be on the other phone with an agency. She goes, Michael, hold on. Clicks back and goes, hey, can you meet with them tomorrow? I met with them. I started doing voiceover. Then the next thing you know, I was outside smoking a cigarette. And this woman, I was making her laugh. And she goes, are you an actor? I go, ah, uh, yeah. She goes, who are you with? I go, I'm with the smaller agent. She goes, that's who we're with. But we have a young adults department from like three to 22 that were on a different floor. I go, what? She goes, come and meet Anne. And I went up and Anne goes, do a monologue right now. I did a monologue. And the next thing you know, she's sending me out. And I started booking stuff. 
Man. Everything happened. Like, yeah, I mean, it was different long. time too, because people different are. Different time, uh, man. I mean, now everyone's looking at their phones and looking at numbers and looking at insights and looking at statistics. I mean, it's a very, it is different. Yeah, N- nowadays, if you were that same age, it'd be like, well, what are you doing on TikTok? What are your bits? What are you, what are your things? Yeah, thank God. And I know it's a. It, it's thank God. Same. I know. Not to. Yeah. No, I mean, it's just a different hustle. Like, I know that is not where I would shine. Like, that is no. not where no. I would. I don't know. I don't think I don't think so. It's Look, not, you know uh, what? It's it's another way in. And I think back then, if I, nothing was working and this happened, I would be like, well, I got to jump on that bag with any. It's like the, the uh, it's survival. If you want to survive, if you want to be in this business, you know, you knock on every door. You 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 you're assertive. You, yeah. you take acting class, you do everything you can if you truly love it. And however you get in, you get in, you know, it just depends what, how you want to be seen and what you want your legacy to be. How did you feel you were seen within the industry at the time, at the time when you booked Smallville? Like when were you, how old were you? How did you feel your place was within the industry? I was like 28 or 29. And I felt like some people recognized me, but I was sort of an up and comer. I had done a few things, but nothing that, you know, like, and then small happened. And I think it was the first time people looked at me like, oh, he's an actor. It was like before it was like kind of funny guy, entertaining, maybe comedian, doing a lot of funny things. But this is the first piece that actually, and I thought people would laugh. I remember my friends were like, wait a minute. You're playing Lex Luthor. You're like you're like a, you're a dipshit. What are you what are you what are you doing? <laughs> and so I had to prove to them, even myself, like when I'm doing it, I'm like I'm acting seriously. But are serious? But are people accepting that? And I just trusted my gut, and I used all that dysfunction and all those things from childhood to develop this character. And so it was almost like destiny in a way. It was sort of like you know all the pieces just sort of fit together and it was the perfect it was the perfect storm but i think that was the perception that people finally thought oh he's an actor mm-hmm. and after that people forgot that i did comedy then i had to kind of prove myself <laughs> again so you're always trying to prove yourself and it's funny i had the complete opposite experience where it was just total i was so green it was my first pilot season it was my first everything and i just was showing up being like don't fuck this up like and i remember having to be like wait what is what's a map box wait for what how many there's more than one mark okay like i just hadn't done barely anything so my thing wasn't you know feeling any sort of establishment and as an actor it was so rooted in they're gonna find me out like I have, it was beyond imposter syndrome. I just was like, oh gosh, what do, what do, what have I done? What have they done? <laughs> what are we all doing here? But I also was at a different, I was, I was 22. I was 21 when we doing the pilot, I was 22 years old. And so I just had these wide, wide eyes. So everything felt adventurous, everything, you know, n- none of it was taken too seriously for me, especially in those early years, because I was just excited to be at the party. And when you've never been to the party before, you're just like, I don't know how these things run. I don't know how it yeah, goes. I whereas like watching, that. yeah, whereas watching some other people had maybe been to parties before, like knew the responsibility and felt you know, felt like 
just the, and then there's different levels of pressure too, of like who's on a set and how many hours someone else is working, whose face is on, you know, a billboard and whose face is on the cover of a magazine. So I didn't necessarily feel that pressure. Whereas for you in 2000, you know, one in the early aughts, when this is all happening, the industry looked very differently. There wasn't social media where you're promoting yourself. Like you are part of like this PR machine on top of the hours that you're working and, you know, in any season, in any series, any couple first seasons are stressful, especially the first and second are very stressful when you're at work. Outside of work, I know you filmed in Vancouver. You know, this is a very like it It was very successful. It was very it was a show that was just applauded up and down with big recognition. How were you personally handling it at the time as someone who's in their late 20s, early 30s? How, how, what did that time look like for you? First of all, um, what you were saying about you were kind of new to it all, I think there is a power and there's a freedom in not exactly knowing how it all works and having that excitement every day and eager to learn and be malleable. And I feel like I miss that part of me where I just was excited to go to work every day. I was excited to explore. I was excited to prove myself. I was all those things. And I had the energy to do it all. And then you start to learn and go, okay, Mark, and okay, what are you guys using a hundred mil? All right. So I'm not going to move much here when you guys are there. I'm just going to stay kind of still. Uh, Hey, is my eye line good here? Is my eye a little crossed over here? All right. I'm going to use this eye and look at your closest side of camera. And there's all these tricks of the trade. And then you learn everything. And now you're in your fucking head. Now you're just like, (laughs) Now you're not just going, oh, yeah, yeah, what? Well, look over there. Okay, great, great. Uh, and you're just thinking about the work. So I think there's uh, pros and cons of both. But I think that I was lucky. I always joke with Tom Welling, who had the Talkville podcast, and he was Clark Kent, of course. But I always say, you know, we're lucky. But at the same time, if we were out now, we'd have millions of followers. Because we were the first of all those superhero shows. The first. Like that. We were like the one. And if you look at all the shows that took off, all good shows, whatever, I'm not saying that, but we're, we were like the first. We were like, they that we catapulted all these other shows. Yeah, I take credit for that. We take credit for that. <laughs> but we didn't have social media. And so it really, for me, I think it was a great thing because I wasn't absorbed in like, he sucks as Lex Luthor. He's not playing the role. I think I may, may have tried to, you know, listen to people more than I should have. And so not knowing what everybody's thinking about me and just going, oh, the creators think I'm great and the and everything. I just I was in this little microcosm. I was in this little this little world of just doing the work. And there was something really great about that. And so if I look back, if I could, you know, if I could, you know, say, hey, I wish there was I would not have social media. I'm glad we didn't have it. And by the time it came around, we were in later seasons and it wasn't as as big as it is now. So I think it helped the show. I think it helped me. I'm glad that it wasn't, you know, we weren't living in the world we're living in now with, with, you know, there's so many platforms and, you know, the AI now we're worried about and all this other shit. So it was, there was a freedom. Were you able to have fun? Like when, when you were off hours work, did you guys have a good time? Up there? Well, well, I didn't really hang out with, you know, the, Tom and I joke cause we're really close friends now. I'm close with him and his family. And, I even think Chris and I are tighter and Erica who played Lois Lane. It's because, you know, we worked so many hours together. The last thing we're going to do, and I know it was different for you, you guys hung out, 
We didn't hang out. Tom worked 80 hours a week. And the last thing he wanted to do, and he was married at the time, which I told him not to get married. He didn't listen to me, but he admits it. He's like, I should listen. You're the, I was the only one that said, what are you doing? Don't do this. And, and he laughed. He goes, come on. I'm like, all right, you're Superman, dude. You should have fun. Do what you want. But we didn't hang out a lot. We definitely talk all the time now and hang. There was a fun, a, a funness, a, a sort of feeling of just coming to set. And, you know, I always, I love doing stand up and stuff. So just making the crew laugh and I knew everybody's name and they looked out for you. It was just, it was, a, it was a great time. I, I, I wish that I had foresight to, to sort of, you know, enjoy it a little more. I think I let the business aspect of it get to me when you negotiate, renegotiate, you know, like just separate business from, it's hard to do that. And, mm-hmm. you know, as we know, the studios can be just, you know, they, they don't really care about us. It's, we're just a number. And so if you're not the number one on the show, it doesn't matter if you're number two, it, they just, they treat you a certain way and they make, they can make you feel like shit pretty easily. And so there were definitely times after season three during renegotiations and stuff that I felt like, wow, they're just, they don't appreciate me at all. Whoa, actors bullshit. But like, it's like in any job you work in, you know, whether you work at Walmart or whatever, if, you know, if you do a good job and your company's making a lot of money, they should at least treat you right and, and pay you what you're, what you're worth. And, and I started experiencing that and I let that get to me yeah. and it affected my, it didn't affect my work, but affected my, I was obsessed outside of work with trying to get this figured out. And I didn't realize that it doesn't matter how, why are you in a bad mood? Why are you feeling this way? Because it has nothing to do with it. It's not going to change anything else. So just enjoy the people you're around. And so once I figured that out, everything got better, but look, it's, 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 there's always the good and the bad. I was very lucky to be on such a hit show. As you know, if it's not, if the look, the acting can be great, or the directing can be great, or the lighting, or the story, but if not, if everything doesn't come together, it's not going to work. Everything has to. I mean, I've been on stuff where I'm like, I was pretty good, it wasn't great. Oh, it was the director wasn't good, wasn't great. Oh, it has to. It was just the perfect storm. It was the right mm-hmm. time, like Vampire Diaries. It was just the right time. They they were smart. It was. A lot of good-looking young people with compelling stories, and that's the CW is known for their pretty faces and their extreme close-ups, and that's what the shows were. A lot of them, but our shows had some heart, and they had a little more than that. And I always felt like I wasn't the good-looking guy; I was the odd man out. So I've just got to be really good so they don't fire me. <laughs> that's how I always felt. <laughs> But then you went on to, I mean, you had a very, very great run, seven, seven years, yeah. and then came back for, for the very end, which was a 10-year run. When that's all over, I know right now, especially, you talk a lot about mental health and, you know, and your personal experience going to therapy on your podcast. Were you, did you have any sort of structure? I mean, I just, I, I just getting, you know, to that point that I mentioned earlier, like I, I had found myself kind of experiencing such a 
you know, journey of it, kind of what you've described. You you get into this business, you you get there and you're so excited and and you want to figure it out. And then you kind of feel like you do figure it out and you figure out what it means to be on set. You figure out what it means to be within the industry. And when you are in this really specific, ex- within the specific experience of being on a long running series, and when then that's all done, it is it can be so dizzying to try to figure out. I mean, I compare it, I have, you know, to someone who would be in an industry for a really long time and suddenly is retiring and having to figure out like, am I going to take up tennis? Like, what is this? <laughs> because because it, uh, you do the same thing every day. You see the same people every day. You're playing the same, you know, role and character every single day. And you have this like relationship with these people and this fictional person, you know, where, where were you when all this when everything ended like where were you emotionally at that time well I, I remember the president of the network at the time peter roth he took me to dinner and i had been on their network for over 10 years i had done pilots as favors for them another show that was terrible and i had been on the network for a long time and he took me to dinner it was like he never even knew me he was where are you from michael I'm like do your fucking research dude i've been on your network longer than any other actor and uh, <laughs> I remember him saying, I remember him saying, you need to sign on for the next three years. And I said, Peter, I'm having this dinner because I respect you. I've I've done this. 162 episodes. I gave you another year. I did seven years. I just want to try to do my own thing. I want to direct a little comedy. I want to work with my friends. I want to do some more stuff. I just, for me, it wasn't about, I need more and more and more and more money. I mean, I wasn't like, oh my God, I could buy a jet at, by any means. I mean, but I knew that I could live for a while and I could maintain a certain lifestyle. And as long as I was healthy and had the resources, I was going to like, I've already had spent a good portion of my life on 10 months a year on the show for seven years. And I felt like it was time for me to go. He was really trying to get me to stay. And I just, I said, I want to go, I want to go explore. I'm it's killing me inside. I just, I feel like I'm losing a part of me. I just need to free myself of this. It was a great run. I felt like I did all I could with this part. I knew the creators were leaving at the end of the season. Kristen Krug was gone. I felt like this was the end. There's no reason for me to stay on the show right now. And yeah, I could have made a lot more money and I could have, but I just felt like it was time. And when I left, honestly, I felt great. I felt I went through a hard breakup after that. And then you didn't call me back. But I remember, no, I'm kidding with you. I'm just playing, I'm playing with you. I went off and I directed my own movie, this little raunchy comedy that I love back in the day. And it was like, I just wanted to, I made it for nothing with all my friends in Indiana. And then, you know, I produced and directed, or produced and wrote and starred in this short film that my friend directed. And my other friend did the score. And I started just doing a bunch of stuff and then I did another series and a pilot here and a little independent and, and I felt good, but I felt at some point that little kid caught up to me that was always, you know, needed that attention, needed that whatever. And I sort of had, I guess I had a midlife crisis, even though I guess I was only, I guess you could have it like 45 where I felt, yeah, Yeah, I, I felt like, who am I doing this for? Am I doing this just to prove myself, to get people to like me, to want me, to to make my agents happy, to make my business manager happy? Why am I doing all this? Do I actually enjoy it or does it call me, cause me a lot of stress? And 
So I spent a couple years just kind of, except for like, I did like bit parts in like Guardians 2 and 3 and like this independent movie. But for the most part, I just fell in love with my podcast, which inadvertently connected me to my, to, to more of who I am, who I want to be or aspire to be, to be a better person, to think about my feelings and talk about talk to other people about their feelings and their life and their desires and their adversities and all the, all the, all the different things that life, it's more important to me. I didn't realize that this would be so important, but when I put those headphones on, it's like ADD me kind of focuses. And I really feel like I don't want it to be two actors talking. I want it to be two human beings talking. And that's what I hope that I'm doing with my podcast and and I know that it's it's affected people's lives. I have a wonderful patron community who supports the podcast, and it's it's given me more purpose than I've ever had. I, I don't think I had a lot of purpose until I started doing the podcast and realizing that I have a lot of work to do in myself. Got me into more therapy and focusing on things that are, are important. And you know, because when you're in this business long enough, you'll see that at first it's about image. And it's about, you know, what you're doing and who you're with. And now I'm like, I want to hang out with my people that I'm comfortable around. I don't hang out with a lot of celebrities, even though I interview a lot of them. It seems like I know a lot of them. I don't really hang out with a lot of celebrities. There's some that I love and I see here and there. But I have my friend Tom, the kid who's popular, grew up down the street from me. That's my best friend. We're, We're doing a pet product together making a, a pet product together we play we play a guitar together is that who you have your band with no i wasn't a band. he's actually he sings he sings on the album but i i my band's called sunspin i just wanted to start doing things that i loved and for a long time i was scared to do music because i didn't sing like you know adam lambert or i didn't play guitar like van zant or whatever so i <laughs> then i said to myself who gives a shit do you love doing yeah. it do you enjoy and then I, we got a following because I, there, there are people out there who love the music and I enjoy it. I enjoy writing songs and working with my best, one of my other best friends, Rob, who works for a nonprofit for food on foot for uh, the homeless situation in, in California. And most of the people that I am friends with are really just down to earth, good natured people who don't have ulterior motives or hanging out with you because they enjoy you. Well, and it sounds like instead of proving proving yourself to other people, you're just proving yourself to yourself. Mm-hmm. You're, you know, you you're you're the you're asking why, and you're answering to yourself as opposed to showing everyone else and and answering why to them. Yeah, I think so. I mean, look, there's always going to be that. You know, you want. You, you want people to know that you're somewhat together. You don't want to just go out and go, this is me, I'm a mess. You know, you want to present yourself in a certain picture. We're still in the industry. We still want to work. We still want to do things. But I'm around people that I could be myself around because I don't want to be, you know, it's not that I'm not myself outside of home, but there is a, a certain image. There is a certain, you know, you want to have your shit together. Um, but we all we don't always have our shit together, and there's good. It's good to have people around you that you cannot have your shit together, and they can tell you to get your shit together. If that makes <laughs> any of that shit goes together. Do you handle it well when you don't have your shit together? <laughs> yeah, I, I, late, like last, I think I've matured a lot. Um, 
I'm still immature. Um, I'm very, I'm responsible. I, I care more about something I never cared about people, but I, I, I think I care too much about people. I think I've always been always wanting to help everybody. And that's been a sort of draining for me over the years. So I'm learning to back off a little. And like when people ask for things, you don't always have to say yes. If people say, hey, I need to borrow some money. I've learned to say this will get complicated and it will it will sever our friendship no matter what. You'll either get weird or you won't pay me something. And I've learned to like, hey, don't let money be the issue. If you want me to help you, let's figure out a plan. There are ways to do that that don't damage relationships. And there's also, you know, when someone's always needy and it's always about them, you have to be aware of that. And like, hey, are they taking my needs into account at all? Are they listening to me? Are they caring about, or am I just always helping them with their problems? Negative Nancys, man. I, you know, I weeded those guys out long time ago when people are just like, yeah, man, nothing's, you know, everything's always there in the corner and you're having fun. You're like, this is getting old, man. Either you start to have fun or get into fucking therapy or work on yourself because this is bringing me down out. When did you start going to therapy consistently? Was this pre midlife crisis, post midlife crisis, your words? I'm not putting midlife crisis on you. (laughs) Yeah. I think real therapy happened in my forties. Yeah. Real therapy. In fact, the real therapy in the last five years that's when I started just being really honest about things, more honest, even with your therapist, there's certain things you're like, ah, I don't even want to get into that. But when you get into it, they're not there to tear you apart. They're there to put you back together. And if they don't know all the information, it's like the instruction manuals thrown out the window. You know, it's like, hey, I need to know what, what, what parts that are, are missing here. I need to know why they're missing. I need to, you know, so once you start opening up about how honest you are, it helps. But what's so interesting is you worked within art in a field in which, you know, part of your job and part of the creative is to dive in and make sense of things and understand and have a different emotional understanding and an emotional intelligence over a scene or over a dynamic of or over just like a person and a character. How has so it's interesting to hear kind of that you've been able to do that for yourself in a different way after therapy has your relationship has your conversations with other men changed since you've been in therapy do you feel like friendships and yeah i'm i'm way more open you know i'm and i'm very open about things that are health oriented like i'm got like i'll say something if something's a little odd i go guys you ever get this like what i'm like fuck off you don't have this well maybe once or oh now it's once or twice You've experienced this. So nobody wants to open up. And I tend to get things out of people where I'm like, you know, whether it's relationships or whether it's, you know, sex or whatever, we're all human. We all have our thing. I'm very honest about that stuff as much as really as much as I can be without completely turning people off. I feel like even like relationships that I'm in, I have better conversations like I'm not feeling this or I want to feel this and I'm not. I don't know why I'm trying to figure it out, but I want to be open with you about it. And so it's important because if you're honest with someone, they can't fault you for that. They can't, you know, there's still that part of me that if it doesn't work out with someone, I want them to go, Hey, he was a good guy. Or he was, I want, I don't want them to think I'm like a, you know, it just didn't work out or they weren't whatever, whatever reason. I don't want to, 
say something or not do something or not be honest about something. I just don't want that. I want everything on the table. Just like, hey, this is it. This is just me being honest. And well, in honesty with someone else usually starts with being honest with yourself, which I think is usually a hard thing to do. And I and that's taken me a long time to oh, yeah. to not turn down turn down that part and be like, no, 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 we're just going to ignore all these thoughts and feelings and yeah. just do the thing that I'm supposed to do in this situation, according to society standards and like yeah. the right thing you know what? You for everyone those, else. If you can't have those real conversations, like, you know, hey, it could be anything. It could be like, hey, I have, I, I have an issue with this or I get really upset about this and this isn't you, this is me. And just like whatever it is, just sort of, I always say when I was doing stand up, I'd be like, they say it's a six month rule. You'll find out everything in six months. I'm like, fuck that. Let's do day one. Here's me. I wear sweatpants around the house. I sometimes I piss with the door open. Here's and they, I'm like, what do you think? Are you here for the second date? Like that, maybe that's too much. But you know what I'm saying? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I was talking about this with friends not too long ago. We were on a girl's trip and and we were talking about like reality shows and stuff. And I was like, you know what I want to see? I don't want to see some group of people on an island with like margaritas and cocktails, like living a dream life. Like they're on their fucking honeymoon. 
I think there needs to be like an amazing race style dating show where it's like you get dropped off at the airport. You know, someone's bag is magically overweight. The other person's isn't. You have to argue over that. Your flight gets canceled. It's, you know, 630 in the morning. No food is open. And you have to like get through the other like the rest of the day, like and see how everyone handles it. Like that's how people should meet in dating shows. I think that you have something there. I think that could be there. There's a no, but like that's something if you put, you know, instead of the perfect, oh, dinner and the beach and this, if you put somebody in a situation where it's like, hey, you guys go, maybe there's a first step where it's the first week where they hang out, they meet each other, and then you guys are going on a trip by Saturday. You keep on by Friday for three days. You can either keep the trip or you cancel it and you're not going. Ooh. But when they keep the trip, they go and they usually say when you go away with somebody and then things are staged and they fall apart and the hotel's not ready and they have to deal with all of it and see if they get on each other's nerves. And they're like, hey, can I deal with this person's energy? Why don't you and I produce that? It's called done. It's called. What would it be called? Messy. We got to work on it. We're, Messy we'll, love. We'll workshop. We'll workshop some ideas. I like it. I think it's a good idea. Don't steal well, that. <laughs> What I like is that you've continued. Has this been a later in life thing that you've really kind of explored all these other things that bring you joy? I mean, you talk yeah, about yeah. your music, you've talked talked about your podcast, like you, you know, speak so like joyfully when you're talking about stand up and like different things that aren't just, you know, what someone would traditionally consider, especially in our day of getting into the entertainment industry it used to be like, well, you do the one thing. And then temporarily there was like the hyphenate, but the hyphenate was always a strategy, like a water company. You remember when everyone had a fucking water company, like everyone had oh, like yeah. their own brand <laughs> of water. Like the version of that now is like alcohol, but you know, which is very funny as well. But, but just where you're doing these things, obviously because it's creative and you know, it's work, but also it's coming from a place of joy it's been more of a late, more recent thing, it sounds like. Yeah. I just started thinking, like, in the last couple of years, I'm not, I always worry about, for instance, there's obviously Strike, but before the Strike, I have this show that I pitched, and lo it looks like, you know, we're going to be moving forward in certain directions, but then the Strike hit. But I always think, Oh, then we're going to have to get a showrunner and then the showrunner is going to take over and we'll get fired. And, you know, this is all going to happen and blah, blah, blah. And then I thought, hey, create a show, write a show, executive producer, then get fired. And then you're still the creator and you get money and who gives a shit and then move on to your next project. Do you really want to even work on something so long? So I'm like, this is the way I think now. Hey, let's just get this part done. Let's just enjoy the process. You know, I came up with a pet product with my friend Tom and I said, I said something to him. He goes, wow. And he's like the master on Amazon and all that. So I go, let's find out how much it would cost to do something like this. And let's put it together. Let's hire an illustrator or whatever. And uh, somebody make the label. And, and we did all that. And it's going great. And it's not that big of a risk. And then I'm like, this is fun. And then I'm like, you know what? I love horror movies. And I go to my buddy, John Heater, who's Napoleon Dynamite. I go, John, he goes, yeah. I go, hey, man, I want to, I want to, we should make a little series and an idea. It's called Scared with Michael Rosenbaum and John Heater. We go to the scariest places on earth. And you and I are just goofballs and we love horror. Yeah, okay. Let's hammer a few things out. That sounds good. And so I pitched it and we're doing it. And so and we're executive producers. And so it's, 
something fun. We go to travel together and do fun things and see some like the catacombs of Paris. And it's just all these things and the band. It's like more I do things because I want to do them and enjoy them instead of like, I should be doing this because everybody thinks that I should be acting and I should just get on this show and I should just, why do anything that there's not an element of fun? There's not an element of just, you know, unless like somebody, you know, people just throw money at you and say, do this. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just can't do that. I can't do that. I'm not like people say rich. I'm like, I'm, I'm okay. I'm fine. I've got the house. I've got, you know, I don't want to dip into the savings. And as long as I maintain and just make enough money to not do that, I'm happy. I don't, and I've been offered stuff to, but I know I'd be miserable. I know I'd be miserable on a show for seven years that is just formulaic. And that's just not me. I'd go crazy and I wouldn't be able to do all these fun things that I get to do and hang out with my dogs and my friends and have a life. And at the end of the day, we could all go tomorrow. You have a very clear understanding of your why when it comes yeah. to decision making in your life now. Yeah. Is that also, do you feel you, it sounds like you also have a very healthy relationship with your ego at this point. Yeah, for sure. No, I do. What was the relationship that you had with your ego 10 years ago comparatively oh, to now? God. I think it was just insecurity. I would try to fulfill something that maybe wasn't there with false bravado or, you know, a certain swagger or, you know, just a lust, like this love. I, I think that there's always been a kid inside me, that inner child that wants to get out and just have fun. So I don't think I had an ego where it was just like such a negative thing. I think I was always a fun person to be around and the light of life of the party and all that. But now I sort of am more, I'm definitely way more humble and more aware of my surroundings. So I'm not either stealing someone's thunder or upsetting someone or too much. I try to just be me, but be very respectful of people more, I think. I think I do that well. And I'm definitely aware of like, I try not to compare myself to other people. You know, I'm like, hey, that's the thing that I can say. I think years ago, I'd sit there and go, God, please, I want to be Leonardo DiCaprio. I'd rather have his life. But I swear to you, there's nobody's life I'd rather have than mine, even with my aches and pains and throwing my back out this morning. And with all the flaws I have, all the faults, I don't want anyone else's life. I want to improve mine. I want to be the best human being I can be, however long that takes. I want to find the right person. I want to continue to have strong relationships with my friends. I want to make people happy. And I want to do fun things that excite me and hopefully make some money. And if not, that's it. That wasn't (laughs) planned. I just said it. Well, none of this should be planned. You're not like reading off notes. No, nothing I say is ever planned. Trust me. Well, speaking of plans, it is interesting. I'm just and I've had this conversation with both of my my stepdaughters. One is 20 at this point, almost 21. And my other is 18. And and 
and just talking about especially this young generation and they kind of hit this point where all of a sudden, you know, senior year of high school and this pan- the panic that comes over of like, but I don't know what I'm doing with my life. Everyone keeps asking me, well, what are you going to do? Well, where are you going to go and who are you going to be? And and I can't just like realizing at this point in my life, in my mid 30s, saying like, oh, no, 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 the the, it's all it's all fault. Like you're not supposed to actually know those things. So I don't even know why we ask you guys these things because you you shouldn't know. And yet you like I remember walking through my 20s, like just so constantly panicked about like, who was I? Who am I? And what defines me? And And it's so interesting how that continues to change like in each decade. So for you, when you were in your 20s, looking back, who was that person? What defined you in your 20s? Now, looking back, what would you say? First of all, I'll say that nobody knows what they're going to do after high school. Most people don't know what they're going to do after college. I have friends who are out of college who are still going, I don't know, the acting thing's not working out, or "Ah, this isn't making me enough money. I want to switch careers. This is an ongoing thing that people shouldn't be so concerned about because you will find that if you do the work, if you keep your eyes open for all opportunities, one thing that may not seem like an opportunity will open up a door for another opportunity that's bigger and more right for you. And if that isn't it, then it's the other. And so, you know, the best advice I can give to people is just like, keep your eyes open and don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. It's not like people believe that things would just happen for them. Oh, you know, this just should happen. You know, if you're an actor, someone's going to just discover me. You're full of, you're, but that never happens. It's when work meets opportunity, preparation meets opportunity. But wh- when you look back at your 20 and your, who you were in your 20s, like if there was a, a, the first version of yourself in your 20s that popped up in your mind, what was that person defined by? Like, what was that person? How did, how did they see themselves at that point? For the most part, and I miss this, and I'm trying to get it back, is fearless. It, it was more of, I was really able to enjoy things and be in the moment, be in the moment, whatever I was doing, like just enjoy people. If I'm at a bar, I'm at a bar. If I'm at, if I'm on set, I'm on set. If I'm, wherever I am, my family, I'm with my family. And there was just this, you know, I remember them saying, do you know what the percentage of actors that make it in this industry are? And I go, I don't care. That doesn't equate to me. It doesn't reflect me. I am, I am going to make it. I'm telling you, write this down, write this moment down, take a picture. I was fearless. I knew that I had something and I don't know if it was naivete or combination of all of it, but I just knew that I was going to be okay in, in this world. And when you find out that thing you love, it's a lot more comforting. And I knew it was entertainment somehow, but I think in my twenties, I also was still as fearless as I was. I still Mm -hmm. was nervous and insecure as anybody could possibly be. And I was a kid, I was just immature Mm -hmm. and trying to figure it out. So there was all these negative things that I was dealing with combining with this maybe ego and fearlessness or recklessness or whatever, that it just somehow propelled me. So if you're insecure and you're all these things, that's okay. But just eye on the prize and just... I loved the first word that came into your mind was fearlessness. And you're going to catch on to where I'm going because now I'm going to ask you 
when you look back at the person you were in your 30s, what were you defined by? Huh. I was defined by, I think it changed. It's weird because I was fearless, but I started to think too much about what other people thought as I got older. And I started to worry too much about all these external things that I couldn't control. And my 30s, I did a lot of great things and fun things, but I still... Were you happy? I think I was happy until about early 40s. (laughs) And then it was about six years of really deep diving. And going, what is the problem? What's what's holding me back now? What's the fear? Why do I feel sort of empty? You know, in my forty, a lot of loss. Because I was going to also ask how, what you felt defined you in your forties. Uncertainty to some define me. I think I was just uncertain about a lot of things. Uncertain about my abilities. Uncertain about just so many things. And it wasn't really until about five years ago that I started facing all those things. So it was a good, I'd say, five years. So maybe my 30s were pretty good, but like late 30s into early 40s. But it wasn't until about 45 where I said, all right, fuck this. You, you want to live a good life? You better start opening up, being honest, being real, getting down to what is what's going on inside of you. And so all those childhood things popped up. I finally confronted them. I finally was able to forgive and forget and well, not forget, but forgive and move on. And you never forget. But now I feel like for the first time in a long time, I feel like I'm finding myself. I'm more calm, excited about things for the first time in a long time. I'm more honest than I've ever been. I care more about, you know, people, but I don't let them people take advantage of me. I don't dwell on things as much. I see the beauty in things that I normally didn't always see. I'm more patient. I have a puppy and as much as I yell at him not to pee in the house or do whatever, I'm just, I feel like I'm more patient with people or things. It's amazing how I'm fearless. And then all of a sudden for a little chunk, uncertain which is the opposite of fearless. If you're uncertain, you're not fearless. And then now getting that back. Now, you don't have to be fearless, but you do have to trust yourself, appreciate, try to love yourself. That's what I'm really trying to do is, is learn how to just go, hey, you're a lovable guy. You do a lot of good things. You help people. There's, you're flawed, but don't not like yourself because you fuck up. Well, and it's never, it's never too late. It is always a good time to start realizing that it's okay to show up for yourself in the way that you show up for other people, which it sounds like you spent a lot of time in your life, you know, really valuing yourself on how you show up for other people and then realizing you can still hold that same value for others if you're showing up for yourself as well. I think you're talking to yourself there too. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've paid enough therapists in my life to really take that to heart. And I, yeah, you seem, it is. You seem very together, though. Like you, <laughs> you seem like you have just like after having two kids or and raising another one and going through a divorce and doing with all your shit that you've, this is what happens, hopefully. But you're the, this is, this is why it's called life. 
it's not just about a certain time in your life. It's life. And yeah. it's how you, how you improve as a person, as a human being, how you learn to feel better, how you, all these things are part of the, the, the journey and it should be exciting, but I see it wonderful woman you've turned into oh well thank you that's very kind of you to say and, it, and it's interesting it's like I like a small example of when I realize I have to like check myself and my relationship with my ego and my people pleaser and the way that I hope that everyone sees me and is usually like I'll be out with my kids and and if I get recognized and I get asked very quickly so what are you doing so what are you doing now what, like, what are you doing? And I'm literally, you know, have one child on the hip, like a stroller, another one that I'm like getting a snack out of my back pocket. And I'm just like, I'm here. You know, I'm in mama mode and I'm having a great day. How are you? What are you doing? And just have to really, really like it. And it took me a minute to get to that place because the D and I've talked about this with other people in the industry who found success and then, you know, and then have to especially mothers who then feel like you have to like prove something or have like something to say. And really... always you hit the nail on the head. I think that's my whole life. What are you doing? It's like, Oh, well, I got this going on and this, and I might do this and I might do this. Aren't I important? And now for years now, people say, so what are you up to? I go, you know what? I got a lot going on. I'm trying to enjoy life I'm trying to be healthy and just enjoying life. That That's what I say, yeah. because I don't need to sit there and go on. I, you know, if you, if you want to sit down sometime and, and have a conversation about life and us, maybe that's fine, but I'm not going to, if you just say, Hey, so how's it going? I'm like, especially if it's a stranger, I'm going to be like, great. I've got, you know, just, you know, things are going great. I hope you're doing yeah. great. I, I don't need yeah. to do that. As long as people don't go, I know you from something somewhere. What if, <laughs> are you an actor? I'm like, no, I think we went to college together. Like, no, no, you're a lot older than I am. Whatever. Yeah, no, I learned there was one time where someone was like, do I know you? And, I'll, and I find I was just like, yeah, I did this thing. And they're like, oh, yeah, I, I didn't know you didn't. I was just wondering if you grew up in Chicago, you didn't ah. go to this high school. And I was like, I'm going to go die now. So I'm, <laughs> this is the one time I actually answered the question. But OK, I had one last part to to the to the decade question. And because and, I do remember vaguely that you had a very close friend who I'm a huge fan of theirs and uh, who is no longer with us. But what do you think Carrie Fisher would have said to you on your 50th birthday? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> well, you're fucking old too. <laughs> you're fucking old now. You're old now too. She would have said something like that. She would have welcome to the party, darling, and given me a hug. <laughs> Man, I miss her. I used to drive down Coldwater from my house as a shortcut to Beverly Hills, and I had an open door policy with her, so I had her code, and she would just say. If you're on your way, you want to stop by for a coffee, grab a sandwich, go take a nap, do it. I stayed at her house for four months. I lived there in one of her bungalows when I was going through a tough time. I So it was like having, and I, she got pissed because I said, you, you remind me so much of my grandmother. And she goes, fuck you. I go, no, no, not the old age. But she always had her door open for everybody. She was just such a, I miss her. She's the love of my life. And I miss just going over there and never knowing what to expect and just going and when it was just alone time and I just hung out with her 
where she could just sit there and be herself and just didn't have to. And she was always like, just, she was so, she was the most brilliant woman I've ever met in my life. One of the most brilliant people I've ever met in my life. Her stories, her empathy for people, lack of ego. She just didn't give a fuck. She just said, she, but it took years and years of that. She was always, she she was Princess Leia and she had to deal with that shit. Her mother, Debbie, you know, being in the shadow and then you living in a Hollywood world and her father, Eddie Fisher, and then Elizabeth Taylor having an affair with Eddie. And then so many fun stories. I will tell you one story. I don't know. I haven't told it often. Quickly. Oh, yeah. So Elizabeth Taylor, Carrie, you know, Elizabeth had an affair with Carrie's mother, Debbie, with uh, Eddie yeah. Fisher. Anyone listening and- that doesn't know the story, just give it a Google real quick because, oh my, what a, what a deep dive. Or just watch Carrie Fisher's special because she has like a whole presentation of like, it, it's fantastic. But she told me, she's sitting there with me, she goes, I went over Elizabeth's house and she had a party. She invited me. So I said, all right, I'll go. And it took her three hours to come downstairs. She always does this grand entrance when she comes down the stairs and she walks by the pool and she walks up to me and she goes hello carrie fisher and i said hello elizabeth taylor and she said you hate me don't you she goes no i don't hate you 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 hate me because i had an affair with your father no push me in the pool she goes i'm not going to push you in the pool she goes fucking push me in the pool and Carrie went boom shoved her ass in the pool and Elizabeth popped up and just went and they both started laughing and then the friendship was built wow what a time what a time I'm sure she's told that story but she's told me I I remember her having fights with Paul Simon she would tell me about she goes (laughs) the fights that I would have with Paul Simon were so amazing that he would say some of the most brilliant fucked up shit and i would say stay right there excuse me for one second run in the other room and write it down i had to write it down and she would show me the writings of what he said and then read it to me they were so messed up and it was like so she just i go did you have sex with so and so and she would say what do you think I, i mean i know so much that i wouldn't bring up that i'm sure people probably know but like the people that you'd meet at her house, it was like, you know, walking what, a, around. what a perfect example of someone who, you know, had to really create a relationship with their own ego, not only their own ego, but their their I'm sure their the familial his the ego of the familial history and really leave a legacy of just self-acceptance and, and the ability to laugh at at life and themselves. But so it took her a long time to get there. I think she suffered immensely. You know, she went through a lot, a lot of shit. The bipolar, the, excuse me, she did so many things she could read in her book or whatever. She eventually got to a point where she didn't care. And this is who I am. Sometimes she would, people would go, oh my God, that was what you got. What you see is what you got. I remember my grandmother. She would always say, if you don't like it, you can get the hell out. I almost knocked my headphones <laughs> off. If you don't, she goes, Mikey, if you don't like it, you can get the hell out. <laughs> now I want that on a coffee mug. I might put that on a coffee. Put mug. that on a mug. If you don't like it, get the hell get out. Get the hell out. <laughs> yeah, make well. me one too. 
I will. You send me a hat, I'll send you a coffee mug. Well, I could chat with you all day, but I've got five final little questions, a little word association. More questions? More questions, but they're super fast. You just have to think, say the first thing that pops in. Okay, tell me something that you like. I love music. Perfect. Something that you know. I know all the linking verbs. Is, am, are, was, were, be, being, been, has, have, had, do, does, did, shall, will, should, would, may, might, must, can, could. How long have you memorized? How long have you had that memorized? Mrs. Meyer, fourth grade. She taught it. We never <laughs> forgot it. She also taught us how to say, spell encyclopedia. Can you spell it? I'm not even going to attempt it to sound like a dumb dumb. Like a song. E-N-C-Y-C-E-L-O-P-E-D-I-A. <laughs> I don't know why I remember it. I remember it. Because teachers are amazing and we should value them more in this country. Some teachers are Most a lot of them are. Okay. Something that you hate. I hate when someone doesn't have, when a friend doesn't have your back. I, I hate liars. I hate bad breath. Okay. Something that you love that's not music and not family, but something that you just personally in life love. I love my dogs. I really love my dog. How many do you have? I have two, Charlie and Blanche. All my dogs are named after either grandparents who have passed or grandparents that I still have. I also love, I love honesty. And I, love, I love making people happy. And then a quirky little fact about you. I tend to do some funny dances naked out of the shower in the morning in front of the mirror. Hmm. Right. I kind of will do like a breakfast club. You know that doom? <laughs> Sometimes I'll do that. But I, I, it's not because I'm naked, but I just feel free. And... Well, thank you for... <laughs> Is that what we're ending feeling on? Feeling free <laughs> throughout this conversation, Michael. You know, Candace, if you don't like it, you can get the hell out. <laughs> fair, fair. A Superbloom podcast is hosted by me, Candace King, produced by Melissa D. Mons and Diamond Imprint Productions, edited by Diane Kang, post-production sound by Coco Lawrence, and advertising partnership with ACAST. <laughs>